Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we are, Raider Nation, back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Damon Cotton behind the wheels of steel. Your boy Q here with you for the next three hours and got plenty to get to coming up on today's show. We were out at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, Raiders HQ, earlier today. Got a chance to talk to head coach Josh McDaniels as the players are back on the field practicing today. And uh, later on this afternoon, the locker room will be open. And we're hoping that uh, Vinny Bonsignor and maybe Clay Baker and Heidi Fang from the Morning Tailgate Show, maybe they'll uh, have an opportunity to send us some stuff over. But uh, they are back at work preparing for the Houston Texans and they've got a stretch now they've got 12 games guaranteed that they've got uh, to put their best foot forward and see what they can do with the rest of the season I'm not talking about the P word don't really care about that I'm uh, worried about one game at a time and not even worried I use the word worried but I really don't mean that I'm just focused in that's a better word to say better way of saying it focused in on the next game up, which is the Houston Texans as they prepare to come to town on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. Of course, you can hear that game kick off at 105 right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. But as I mentioned, got plenty to get to on today's show as we do each and every day. Very excited about the opportunity to talk with you on the Daily Raider Nation. Of course, we always like to interact with you. 69187, keyword R&R. That's the text line. Love the text line. Love the opportunity to be able to communicate back and forth with you by way of the text line. Anytime we have a guest on the show, if you want us to ask a question, we do our best to try to check it while we're talking to the guest so we can try to get that question in as well and of course when we're not uh, guest heavy of course you can always call us at 702-365-9200 you will have the opportunity to do that throughout the course of the show today but coming up in a matter of minutes as a matter of fact at 210, we'll have the opening drive with Seth, Seth Walder. He'll kick us off from ESPN. I kind of teased him as a guest yesterday on the show talking about the analytics side of the NFL. And analytics in a major way has taken over sports in general, right? And there's a lot of good stuff that they provide when it comes to the analytics side of things. I'm not big on the analytics. And I'll be the first thing I tell Seth, like, hey, analytics is not my bag. I like to just go with the eye test and see what I see and know what I know. And, and just, hey, that's what you should do in this situation, and this is what you shouldn't do in that situation. But that doesn't mean it's right. You know, I mean, we always talk about evolution. Well, everything evolves, and so sports has evolved as well. You obviously see a ton of it in baseball, but it's evolved in, and it's taken over uh, NFL as well where it comes to the analytics side of things and why some decisions are made by certain head coaches or certain position coaches. And, you know, of course, when we look at the Chargers, we see it all the time with head coach Brandon Staley, and I think that he gets way too analytical And I think that you can do that. You can get too analytical, but you also can use it to your advantage. And we saw head coach Josh McDaniels talk about it when uh, he went for the two-point conversion against the Chiefs. And he said, we understand the analytics that goes into it. That was just a decision that we made. So, you know, you can use analytics and not get too far into the weeds of it and use it way too much like I think Brandon Staley does. And you can use it to your advantage. So we'll kind of, like I said, we'll we'll, we'll navigate through it with Seth and and ask him about the evolution and, and... you know, what we think is next, and we'll talk about pressure. 
you know, instead of sacks, we always talk about how many pressures you can get and how that can impact. That's also the analytics side of things. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of, like I said, we'll deep dive as much as we can with Seth Walder coming up at 210. He'll kick us off on the opening drive. He's from ESPN at 230. Our good friend Landry Locker from Sports Radio 610 in H-Town. Uh, he's going to be headed this way to Allegiant Stadium on Sunday. Matter of fact, he's taking off on Friday, I believe, from Houston and headed to Las Vegas for the game. Covers the Texans like a glove. Obviously covers all the sports there in, uh, in Houston, the Houston area. Really good dude. And uh, he'll join the show at 2.30 to talk all things Houston Texans. Give us a little bit deeper dive into the actual team. I know we talked uh, uh, about the Texans with John McClain yesterday, but we also talked a lot of NFL in general. So we'll just focus 100% on the Texans, the next team up on the schedule. We'll do that with Landry Locker coming up at 2.30. 3 o'clock, Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 Sports. She'll join the show to talk all things UNLV is they're headed to South Bend, Damon. That's a big deal right there, man. They're headed to South Bend. And look, I don't think that they have a shot at all to even get close to winning this game against Notre Dame. But just to have the opportunity to go and have that experience, as we talked to Ed Graney on yesterday's show, and he said, man, that experience for the kids, that, that experience for the, uh, the, the program itself is a big deal. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I think that Paloma, and we'll ask her when we talk to her at 3, I think she's going. And I think that'll be a really cool uh, event and, and a, like I said, a special experience for her. A million dollars to go play like a champion. <laughs> a million dollars to go suck, soak in that experience, man. That's what's really going to be soaking in that experience of of being in South Bend, and, and you know, I mean, that's that's not something that you do all the time, right? I mean, it's just not. And we know that Steve Cofield, who's on our sister station ESPN Las Vegas, he's a sideline reporter for UNLV. He's headed that way. We've got a lot of people. We got a contingency going. How did you not get on the invite list? You know what? There's only so many spots. And if Danny were to switch with me, if he said, hey, Damon, I want to run Unnecessary Roughness, do you want to take the engineering job and uh, go up to South Bend? I'd switch with him in a heartbeat. See, there you go. See, look. So, Damon just told you, Raider Nation, that he would bail on me in a heartbeat to go hey, hang out in South Bend and uh, engineer, <laughs> and I say that in air quotes, engineer for the UNLV game. But, yeah, we got Chris Chapman is going. We got Danny's going. Steve Cofield is going. I mean, just about everybody's going. I think Paloma's going. Uh, I know Ed Graney is going. You know, I mean, everybody's going to South Bend but you. And I think Chapman's the only one that's going not in an official capacity. He's, He's just, just going. I'm just going. So you're just telling on him. <laughs> you're just telling all his business. By the way, Chapman's not really going to work. <laughs> no, because it's just like everybody else is getting paid to be going. It's just right. like, hey, former alumni, I just can't miss this moment. No, nah, and that's a hell of an experience. Again, it's a great opportunity. I mentioned it to Ed yesterday, and I was talking about him, uh, talking about this opportunity as well. Uh, today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, we were in the media room that, you know, my son's going to be opening up his basketball season this year as a sophomore at Western Oregon. They're going to Arizona. They're playing the number 17th ranked team in the country. Basketball, right? That's a big time. I mean, Arizona basketball is a big thing. They're having their first game. It's an exhibition game, but it's against Arizona. So uh, I'm already trying to work out plans. I've been on the on the uh, internet sending emails to the SID over there at Arizona. So most likely unnecessary roughness will be generated from Arizona on November 1st just because I want to be there to see that. But, I mean, they don't have a chance of winning that game, right? I mean, they're just – I mean, they don't. Look, they, they – a D2 school going up against Arizona who's the number 17 ranked school in the country like come on man but it's a great experience it's it's a fantastic experience it's something that hopefully he doesn't forget you know he just goes there soaks it in and just realizes that big opportunity and of course I'm sure it's a big payday for the school as well that's not my business but you know they got to pay for those scholarships somehow 
Yeah, the scholarships. <laughs> and also, if it was me, I'd be looking at it. Hey, I might get scouted here. Exactly. Maybe that's, Arizona see something that's they like. That's the biggest thing right there. You get an opportunity to have some eyeballs on you that you might not necessarily have. Yeah, that's a hell of an experience, man. So that's why you go and you do that. You go and give everything you got because you just don't know who's paying attention to what you're doing. So Paloma Villacano from Fox 5 Sports, she'll join us at 3 o'clock. She joins us each and every Wednesday at 3 to talk some UNLV. We'll also talk a little LV Aces with her. As I saw that uh, Kelsey Plum had a little minor uh, surgery that she'll be fine. She's just, you know, just a little cleanup work. But we'll talk to her about the Aces as well. That's coming up at 3 o'clock. Then at 4.30, Sam Gordon from the RJ. He'll join us. He was there at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. He was there uh, listening to head coach Josh McDaniels. He was able to observe practice a little bit today. And also he'll do a little of the, uh, the locker room access following practice. So we'll get Sam Gordon's thoughts. Of course, anytime Sam's on the show, we got to ask him a little bit of fight stuff. And I know you got some some fight questions to ask him. I want to ask him about Devin Haney. Because mm-hmm. uh, Haney, man, Haney, Haney, he gave the, the business to Combosas on, uh, over the weekend, man. And that was the second time. And he did it in his country. I mean, he, you know what I mean? Twice. Like, Yeah, I mean, he did that to him twice. So what's next? What's next for Haney? Maybe a little Loma, maybe a little Shakur Stevenson. I mean, oh, you're the man. guy. You, oh, you don't man. know. No, no, you don't know because that 135 division is stacked. Q. It is. Stacked. That's wild. 135, man. I, I ain't been. I was. <laughs> I was 135 pounds in high school, <laughs> right? And I was a little dude. I was definitely considered a little dude. But 135 pounds, that's wild. But those guys, they go out there and they put their all. And Devin Haney was fantastic over the weekend. So we'll talk to Sam Gordon coming up at 4.30 from the RJ about the Raiders. And we'll dip into the fight game with him. So Seth Walder, Landry Locker, Paloma Villacana, Sam Gordon. That's the lineup for today. Let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. And as promised, I was very excited to have our next guest as Seth Walder from ESPN, going to talk a little analytic side of NFL. And Seth, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. And I'll be the first to tell you, Seth, I am not an analytics guy at all. Like, I barely understand it. But I know that it's very important, and it's major in sports, and it's really uh, very effective in the NFL as well. So for analytics for dummies, how has it really impacted the NFL so far? Well, there's a bunch of ways. I mean, over this is not like a new thing, but I think every single year it's increasingly important in the NFL. The most visible way that it, you know, it is demonstrated in the game is the way that teams have shifted their approach on fourth down. This is like not not new news. I mean, I right. think we're sort of like 13, 14 years at this point once when my colleague Brian Burke uh, was, was sort of the latest at that point to do some really key research that showed the teams did not go for it enough. They were, they were too conservative on fourth down, and they were effectively leaving points on the board. And over time, we've seen teams adapt to that. There's certainly other ways that analytics has played a major role in the NFL, whether it be in draft day trades or which positions to value. But uh, I think it's just becoming an increasingly large part of the way that teams operate. No, it really is. And, you know, we're here. We obviously cover the Raiders, but we pay attention to the whole AFC West. And so we always see uh, Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach. He goes for it on fourth down. And Seth, it feels like he'll go for it on fourth down. It doesn't matter where he is on the field. Is there a point where you can – Use analytics too much? No, I don't. Well, I mean, is there a point you could use analytics too? Or rely, maybe rely know. on no the numbers. Close. No one's close if that's if that's the case. I think, in my opinion, it's not that. But what you, I think, what 
you, you might be asking, is it possible that the Chargers go for it too much? Yeah, and kind of rely on analytics too much. Okay, see, I, I think those are two very different questions. Okay. Because, see, now, to me, I think the Chargers actually, according by our model, and certainly there are different models, by our model, the Chargers had some instances last year where they went for it, where our model felt like that was uh, the wrong decision. Now, this year, I would not say. I would say Brandon Staley is a completely different person this year when it comes to fourth downs. He has been uh, shockingly conservative, I think, at some point, and uh, very inconsistent when it comes to, uh, comes to uh, fourth down decisions. Whether it's relying too much on analytics, I, I mean, certainly there are other subjective, qualitative ways to evaluate the game, and I think those are important, but I don't think that anyone... I don't think there's any team out there, in my opinion, that is relying too heavily on quantitative analysis. Again, we're talking with Seth Walter from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Rough. This is my man DeMond's got one for you. I am on the side of analytics because <laughs> I remember doing a, a paper, a research paper about Second Spectrum and the work that they were doing for the NBA. And I like that you said quantitative. Yeah. yeah, I like that you said quantitative analysis there because my question is do you think that? analytics just needs a rebrand, maybe a different name, because you hear so many times, you'll hear the color analyst on a game, oh man, they're going for two, and this is why I don't like analytics. Do you think that it's just that analytics needs that rebrand because you got so many people that just say, hey, they're going for two, they're going for it on fourth, ah, oh, they're relying on analytics too much? I think it's a really interesting question. If I worked for a team, I would say yes, right? Like, if you're just, if your goal is you have to convince someone, I need to convince my general manager to, to, take this into account, um, and this is what's going to get it done, then sure, go for it. Um, I think, yeah, to some degree, I do think there's an argument out there that why don't we just uh, use the word like evidence or quantitative analysis and, instead of analytics. I will push back a little bit, though, on this notion, because it is sort of a talking point these days, and I do find that, you know, what does that say about people resisting if it's just a big, bad, scary word? That's 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 the only way that it means I'm old, Seth. It means I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it's like, you know, if 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 they're like, oh, well, once you say like, well, you need some evidence, you base your decisions based on evidence and they're cool with that. But then if you say base your decisions based on analytics, they're not cool with that. It's like, well, we should probably start just that doesn't seem like a huge, you know, it's not a big difference there. It's basically the same thing. And what is a, a specific certain type of play in the NFL that the numbers do back up, the data backs up, that maybe NFL teams shouldn't be going forward as much? For me, I think it's the fade. But is there another type of play that's just, why are NFL teams still trying to do this And when the numbers prove that it's not that effective? The fade's a good example. I think early down running is, is a really good example where teams are – Teams rely too much on early down runs, and if you get yourself caught in that run-run-pass series pattern, that's kind of the worst thing you can do when it comes to, like, game strategy. So early down runs, you can just look at the numbers. Like if you, and you don't need to do anything, like, fancy here. You can look at yards per play, early down runs versus early down passes. You're going to see that the early down passes are much more effective. And so uh, the fact that those are not brought in line that tells you that teams run too often. And so I think that's, that's a huge 
thing that has been shifting over over time, but hasn't shifted far enough. Talking again with Seth Walder from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920. And I say roughness, talking a little analytics. And I feel like I'm in Spanish 3 class right now. And just for <laughs> for those that don't know, I didn't pa- pass Spanish 3, but it's okay. We're working it out. And that's why we have Seth on. How about pressures and sacks? Because we always talk about sacks. And uh, Max Crosby, for example, last year was fantastic with pressures, didn't have all the sacks. And so we know and we hear from coaches Pressures, pressures, pressures. That's what we really care about. What do the numbers tell you when it comes to pressures as opposed to sacks? Yeah, so in both, in both cases, actually, so there's a lot to say here. I think with sacks, one thing is that a lot of it has to do with the quarterback, and there's a lot of quarterbacks who drive that. So if you're a defensive player, if you're facing Tom Brady, he's, you know, he's not a mobile guy, but he's incredible at shifting in the pocket and just feeling when the blitz is coming, when a pressure is going to come, getting rid of the ball. And so you're just still just trying to cause as much, much disruption as you can. So I agree with the general take that pressures over sacks is, is, a, is a good way to look about it. But I also think the pressures are to some degree also quarterback-driven. Um, and so we have a metric called pass rush win, pass rush win rate. And what we do is we look at players, how often they win within a certain time period, two and a half seconds. Did you beat your blocker in the first two and a half seconds? Because then we're putting everyone on kind of like an apples-to-apples thing. And, yeah, Max Crosby last year performed really well in pass rush win rate, better than he ever had before. And so, to me, that's an indication of, yeah, an actually improving ability as a pass rusher as opposed to just looking at 10 plays over the course of the year, which is just such a tiny percentage. So, as far as just other other big plays or, or any other stat in, in NFL or in, in football in general, I guess, that, you know, that we may overlook and may not talk about enough, is there something that really stands out to you that you don't think is getting enough conversation right now? Well, uh, I mean, there's, it's, I wouldn't say this is like underrated or something because it's brand new, but we have these brand new metrics, these receiver tracking metrics okay. um, that we created that are basically, the idea is to quantify different attributes of a receiver's performance using player tracking data. And so we have something called open score, for example. And the idea is to calculate a player's ability to get open, whether he is targeted or not. And that, to me, is a key development. Um, and it's a, it's a really tricky problem. You can't just use separation between a receiver and a corner because uh, separation can mean a whole lot of different things depending on the context of the play. So the idea of open score is to... In, encapsulate all of that context, consider leverage and what kind of route they're running and what the, what the defensive coverage is, and calculate an open score. And so we do have now an open score for every receiver, as well as a catch score and a yak score. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that this is going to be able to help us break down uh, receivers' abilities, you know, whether they have the ball or, or got the target or not. One of the receivers that has the best open score since 2017 is Devontae Adams, a current member of the Las Vegas Raiders. So when you're quantifying that, could this be one of those new metrics for a receiver or maybe just us talking heads on the radio to say, hey, this is one of the best receivers in the NFL based off that open score? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't think it's much of a surprise. Like, if, if you know if you know Devontae Adams, of course he's of course he's really high in this metric. But I think I think it's a really good way to identify some of these players who are having excellent performances. And sometimes you get guys that pop out that are not superstars. So, like Isaiah Jones this year, for example, a former member of the Raiders, is performing really well in open score with the Jaguars. And and though his production isn't like crazy, to me that's like 
I, okay, I've got my eye on Zay Jones. I'm going to look and see if his production does take up here in the, in the second half of the season. And earlier I asked you about plays that NFL teams run that maybe they shouldn't, and you went on running on first down. He's got such a smile runs. on his face, by the way. But what is, a, what is a certain type of play or maybe some schemes or just an area of the field that teams don't attack enough in the NFL? When you look at the data, it says, hey, that's so open. Why aren't more teams doing this? Okay, so a few things would be like a really obvious one is play action. I think that teams don't. You don't. What's been shown is that you don't really need to quote unquote establish the run in order for play action to be an offensive advantage. Some teams do use play action a lot, but not every team does. And if you're not using play action, you're just leaving points on the floor. I think depending on the kind of offense you run, uh, I feel similarly about rollouts. Designed rollouts are very effective. Um, yes, be a lot. A part of that is because they often use play action, but they do tend to be more effective than, than non-rollout plays. That actually has been uh, less true this season, but historically. And then I do look at, you know, another thing I look at is routes. You know, we have these sort of route data now uh, through the player tracking, and some of the most effective routes that you run, that teams run are uh, deep crossers and deep outs. And so I do think it makes sense, depending on your quarterback and your scheme, that, that you, should be, you should be running those. Let me one, add one from a defensive perspective. There you go. Which I think is, is becoming a trend over, uh, is becoming a trend across the NFL starting really maybe last year. But the two high coverages are just I mean, quite apparently more valuable uh, than single high coverages just in a vacuum. I, there's a place for, for all of it, but I think we're seeing more two-man, more quarters coverage, and then less cover one, cover three, and the numbers bear out that, that that's true. And I think that goes back to like an initial point of passing being more valuable than running. It's just true. So when teams prioritize defending the pass, uh, that ends up putting them in a better position just overall. Again, we're talking with Seth Wilder from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Just got a couple more questions for you, and this has been fantastic. I love uh, educating myself and others because, look, I, I have no you know bones about it. I, I don't know the analytics side of things like you do, and so this has been a great breakdown. How, what, how does analytics, how does it, I guess, measure what it can't measure as far as like personnel or how the team is. If the team is a one in four team and struggling to score, I mean, how can it, how can it take into account for that? Like take into account for what do you mean? Like what, like, uh, like what, what kind of, like if a team is not very good at blocking, even though on the analytic side of things, it would make sense to do a play action pass, but their offensive line is not very good or they're just struggling to win games. And for example, like Josh McDaniels went for two at the end of the Monday night game against Kansas city. And a lot of people called in and said that was a great decision. Just didn't work out. I thought it was a bad decision, kicked extra point and tie the game. And there's still four minutes left in the game because, well, the Raiders just need to try to win games. So, I think the analytics doesn't go into fact like the the team itself. It's just really looking at the numbers. So how can how can you get a good measurement there? I think that I think that more than people realize, we are considering the team itself. So on the, for your first example, let me just say this because this was a big surprise to me a couple of years ago. But like you mentioned, well maybe you're not a good pass blocking team, and so you do. Uh, so play action sounds nice in theory. Play action helps from a pass protection standpoint. We see that your, your pass protection numbers are much better when, it, when you run play action because your opponent, uh, you know, they're, they don't get off the ball as quickly. Right. I think, um, and we do have pass blocking numbers. So I, I think, like, okay. we have our pass block win rate, and so we do are able to quantify those things. That being said, I do think, yeah, you are, maybe what I think 
is is important to think about is like, yeah, when you're making these game management decisions, going for two, fourth down, yeah, you want to consider the strengths of your team and the opponent, which we do overall, but maybe you have like a specific team strength that's not reflected in the number, like their corner is hurt. And so you might want to attack that, and that might not be in the numbers. And so the way that I like to think about that when it comes to game management is we often say something like, yeah, we give a go, no go recommendation. But actually what the way the model works is it might say, um, you have a 40, you need at least a 40% chance here to convert for it to be worth it. Um, You know, maybe league average is 47. You know, what do you want to do? If you feel like, well, okay, yeah, we would go for this, but um, our quarterback got knocked down in the second quarter, so we're a totally different team now. I'm not sure we have a 40% chance. Right. Okay, maybe that's a situation where, uh, where it might make sense to, to change your mind. That makes sense. It does. All right, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot too much here. but There you go. Look out. Famous last words, Seth. People always say that, hey, these guys are trying to change football. If you can make one change to the way. Why are you talking about me in front of my face? (laughs) If you could change one way that the NFL has played or a rule change that maybe you would like to see, what would it be? Oh, man, that's a good question. And now I feel like I have a million answers, and now I can't think of them. Um, uh, Change one thing about the NFL. Oh, man. Uh, I've got so many, I swear. Okay, there's, there's one. Can I, give you, can I give you one just for all sports? This is, yes. This, I feel like this would be 100% approval rate. Okay. When one team calls a timeout. The other team, your opponent cannot immediately call a timeout right after. All right? All sports, football, basketball, whatever. That's got, we, we can all agree. We just had a timeout. We don't need another. Right. Everybody gets a timeout when there's a timeout. I, I like that one. I like that one too. I hate that when they call timeout. The second one, it's like, well, now that they know what this team's going to do, they got to look. Now they're going to go and adjust. Like, man, you you should have just thought about that while you were in the last timeout. I, I, I'm with you, Seth. I like it. And hey, don't don't uh, don't don't hate me for my ignorance. That's why we have you on is to is to educate no, us. No, no, no. I love it. <laughs> I love. Hey, that was some really good stuff. We're getting a bunch of tweets and texts about the great uh, knowledge that you're dropping. So uh, we definitely appreciate it. Do you have anything coming out that we need to be on the lookout for? Oh, I do. Uh, I do a fantasy story every week. I do um, uh, uh, just a whole bunch of, of betting content, fantasy story. We have. We have, we have a just stay on ESPN.com. Check out all of our our stuff coming out, and uh, I'll be dropping my analytics staffer survey in the upcoming weeks. I survey. Uh, staffers across the league on a whole bunch of questions. Keep your eyes peeled for that. I definitely will. Well, great stuff this afternoon. We definitely appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. There he goes. Good stuff right there. Really is. I, I have no problem with someone telling me something I don't know, right? I mean, that's why we have guys like Seth on the show. So good stuff right there from Seth Walder. Uh, we got a tweet from uh, uh, Grinds24. Grinds he said, I feel like I'm in physics class again. Good insight, though, on the analytics is for us who aren't up to speed. And I agree 100%. So thanks for that uh, tweet, G. We definitely appreciate you. Coming up next, Landry Locker, Sports Radio 610 in H-Town, talking all things Texans. This is Radio Nation Radio 910. 9-20. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Good stuff from Seth Walder in the last segment from ESPN, talking all things analytics on the analytics side of things when it comes to football. 
something that I know has been around for a long time. I'm just not one that subscribes to it as much as others do. And Damon was deep diving into it. And I'm not mad at that at all. Made it sound like I was in a one of those classes in school that I never passed. And that's okay. That's why we have guys like Seth on. We definitely appreciate his time. We just got the injury report for the Raiders and the Texans for this upcoming week. We'll give you an update on that. Who participated, who didn't participate, who was limited, uh, who had a full, you know, who full practice and all that good stuff. We'll have that coming up in just a few minutes. But uh, joining us now on the phone lines for Sports Radio 610 in H-Town is our good friend Landry Locker. And Landry, thanks so much for your time, my man. Definitely appreciate you. And what's it, what's it like around the Houston Texans right now? I know that the record is not exactly what they want it to be, obviously. They want to be winning. Lovey Smith is a guy that's used to winning. He's a hell of a coach, but from what I see from a distance, he has that team playing really hard, believing, giving them opportunities to win. What's kind of the vibe around them right now? Uh, it's as optimistic as it's been the last uh, few years. Uh, you know, they've, they've been in some games. Uh, you have the four draft pick, four first-round picks in the next two years, so the, the vibes are actually pretty good. Uh, it's not a disappointing feeling, but you are right. The team plays hard. Uh, there's actually some young talent on the roster. So overall, the mood is the mood is pretty good around here because I think people have bought into the process, and the people who aren't bought in, uh, they're not going to come back till they start winning anyways. But the, but but the vibes are as good as they've been in, in the last few years. Yeah, you mentioned some of that young talent offensively. The running back, Damian Pierce, the fourth round pick. I mean, he's an absolute stud. Is it safe to say that the offense runs through him? Yeah, it definitely does, and it's kind of a scary thing because, um, you know, the, the the workload is is something that we need to keep an eye on because in four years at Florida, he only had double digit carries seven times. Now that that could that's a Dan Mullen thing, obviously, right. but he's not used to carrying the workload uh, as much, and he only had fifteen or more carries twice. Uh, and they're they're giving him the ball, but the offense definitely. Uh, it runs through him. Uh, Davis Mills has struggled to uh, connect with Brandon Cooks, uh, and he's he's missed a lot of a uh, lot a lot of open receivers. But yeah, it's it's pretty much a Damian Pierce thing. They want to run the ball, uh, but after that, it's a complete fall off because they don't really have any other options. But yeah, he's definitely the straw that stirs the drink on the offense. You mentioned Davis Mills and him struggling. Has it felt like he's taken a step back from what he was even a season ago? Oh, big time. Yeah, he's been really bad. Um, there's really no sugarcoating it. Uh, he's, uh, he's not as accurate. He, uh, we were at every training camp practice. And he was struggling to throw the deep ball, which was surprising because that was something that he actually did really, really well last year. Uh, he's, there's some happy feet there. Uh, he's, he's misfired. Sometimes it seems like he gets rid of the ball too quick. Uh, the, the line is actually blocked pretty well for him. Uh, he's, he's their top ten in that on uh on football outsiders and some of the other stuff but it almost seems like you've gone from like one extreme to another from deshaun watson to davis mills where maybe deshaun held on to the rock a little bit too long at times and davis mills gets rid of it a little bit too early but he's definitely taking a step back i think it's it's very evident and it was a long shot to begin with uh that he's gonna he was gonna be the guy that you know was gonna be your quarterback of the future i, I think it's pretty much accepted uh, that he's no longer that guy, uh, and he's definitely taking a step back. Talking all things Texans right now with Landry Locker from Sports Radio 610 in Houston here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Defensively, there's some young studs as well. Derek Stingley, he was a very high draft pick, and then Jalen Petrie, a guy from Baylor. I covered Baylor when I was in Central Texas. How nice have they been in the secondary? They're solid. I mean, those are, those are really, really good players. And, and Stingley, um, you know, he's, 
he's been challenged. I know him and Cortland Sutton did a battle. If you watch the interception uh, against Trevor Lawrence, I know a lot of people will say, well, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence shouldn't throw interceptions in the end zone, but it was actually one of the most freakish plays that you'll ever see if you go back and look at, like, the all-22 view. Uh, he, he basically has his back turned to Trevor Lawrence, and then he's looking at the receiver. You can see him looking to his left, and he runs the route for the receiver. Lawrence thought that you know he was in no man's lane because his back was turned, but he actually ran the route for him. Uh, he's been good. Petrie, he's been solid. He's probably missed more tackles than you'd like, mm. but they definitely have some young talent, and we could see Christian Harris pretty soon as well. I got, I got a third-round pick out of uh, Alabama, one of the more intriguing rookies. Uh, on this team, so there's definitely there's definitely some youth movement, and I and I do look forward to seeing you know Devonte Adams lined up against uh, Stingley, and when he's not lined up with Stingley, Stephen Nelson's had like an under the radar decent year too, given what the expectations were. So there should there should be some battles uh, on the outside between uh, 24 and Devonte Adams. So you don't expect Stingley to kind of follow Adams around the field? See, I don't know. Like Lovey, when they drafted him, said they were going to do that. And they, it, it seemed like he follows around Sutton sometimes, and then sometimes they let Stephen Nelson, uh, you know, be on the be on the opposite side of the field, and they don't move him around. Uh, I w- it wouldn't shock me, but they don't have like a consistent like you know Stingley, you check the top guy type of rotation. It's actually kind of hard to keep up with 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 what they decide. But I, I would I would love to see it. And I think it would be a hell of a matchup, and I think I think he'd be able to hold his own. Although you know Devontae is going to get his. Oh, absolutely. Devontae is fantastic, but I mean these these young corners coming out of school, man, they're they're fantastic. And and Stingley was a stud at LSU when he was a freshman. So I mean he's he's a he's a really good player. Again, Landry Locker is our guest here on Red Nation Radio nine twenty. My man Demond's got one for you. Yeah, and hearing you talk about that Texans defense, it sounds like this secondary is really shining. And I know that this team they're in the top half of the league when it comes to the points allowed on defense. But what is some of the aspects of this team that opponents are able to take advantage of when it comes to this defense? running the ball like crazy. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's one of the worst run defenses you'll ever see. The front seven is bad. The linebackers are bad. Uh, they got some undersized linebackers that can't cover. Uh, if, if, if y'all can do some work in the slot, and I've seen it before, I've seen y'all do it, uh, they, y- y- just sniff out 51 uh, and, and you'll be able to eat like crazy. The Colts did it at the end of the game, and that's part of the reason that they were able to overcome the uh, deficit that they had. Uh, but you can definitely run the ball on these guys at like an incredible level. Uh, they're just they're just out, man. There's really not not a lot of talent uh, on the front seven. Now they're starting to play some new some some more linebackers. Uh, Garrett Wallow out of TCU. Um, he had a pretty good game last week, and then they had uh, Reeves Mabin and some other guys coming in. Navelle Hewitt. Uh, but th- you you can definitely run the ball on these guys. You can do some work in the slot. Uh, and, and I anticipate with, with what we've seen from Jacobs, he, there, there's probably going to be a heavy dose of him on Sunday. Yeah, I'm sure he's probably licking his chops hearing something like that, that, uh, you know, they don't they struggle to stop the run. I'm sure Jacobs is getting excited. You know he's in a contract year. You know how it goes, Landry, in a contract <laughs> year. These guys play at even higher level. Now, what happens, what changes for the Texans, though, in the red zone? Because they give up a ton of yards, but in the red zone, they, 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 they get stingy. Yeah, it's, it's it, some of it is – their own doing, but a lot of it has been a little bit of luck. Okay. Uh, Indianapolis specifically, Indianapolis, uh, they dropped a couple of, they dropped a touchdown, and then one time they decided to run Wildcat with Naheem Hines uh, in there. Uh, Denver's just been awful in the red zone, uh, so I think that kind of uh, came into 
into uh, account. Uh, Trevor Lawrence threw one, the interception to Stingley, which was a good play. Um, they do get a little bit stingier, and I guess the the inability to cover the slot is is kind of uh, equalized when you have you know less space. So that might help, but I, I would say that's kind of fool's gold because I do think you can score on them in the red zone. They've just they've had a lot of luck, like in in specific situations down there. What would you say when you look at the Texans as a whole? What would you say that they do best? God, someone asked me that the other day. I guess run the ball with Damian Pierce. Okay, uh, that that would be it. Um, and and they don't do that at like an elite level. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's hilarious because that that should be something that you're is really easy to answer. But when you're in this part of a process, uh, you kind of find you kind of struggle to to find out what they do well. They don't do they they don't really do anything great. But the best thing they do uh, is when Damian Pierce is going, uh, they can get him they can get him rolling. I would say. You know when Brandon Cooks gets going, but he hadn't really been able to get going this year. So Pierce is Pierce is about as good as it gets, and that's not even really elite. Again, we're talking with Landry Locker from Sports Radio six ten here on Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. Unnecessary roughness. I, I wanted to kind of shift from the team, or at least the team on the field, to the the front office. And we found out about Jack Easterby. He's no longer there. Was that like a big black cloud lifted over the off of the Texans uh, organization when he was uh, released? Yeah, the guy was a scumbag. Um, like uh, that—that that was one of the most bizarre, interesting things that that I've ever witnessed. And and I actually I spoke to him a couple of times, and you know there was he was he was a very very sneaky guy. You talk to former players; former players don't have anything good to say about him. I know a lot of people in the building uh, are happy he's not there. It was especially one of those situations where. Um, there, there are some players. I know Brandon Cooks had some good things to say about him. They got a good relationship, uh, but you know there, there, there are some players that could tolerate him. But w- with everything that had happened, he was basically trying to move the goalposts and take on a different role than the one that he had when he was more hands-on. And fans, there's a lot of fans who just were out because of him. Uh, he wasn't good. The most important thing is he wasn't very good uh, as a football personnel guy. Uh, and I think that was one of the really, really big hurdles that they needed to overcome uh, to make that move. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely a dark cloud out of there. and it's, it's, it's something a lot of people would love to forget because it's, it's a big reason why Deshaun Watson wanted out of town before uh, all the other stuff came up. Uh, it's a big reason why J.J. Watt wasn't completely invested uh, in, you know, riding it out with the rebuild. Uh, there's a lot of people in the front office that didn't want to be there. And, and, and the resume speaks for itself if you look at what's happened to the organization since he got here. So, yeah, it was definitely a dark cloud. Uh, it was a weird, 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 weird situation. And, uh, it's look, they could lose by 40 um, on Sunday, and, and, and they still would have won the week because they, they finally got rid of him. Wow. All right, I've got to ask then, Jack <laughs> Easterby, if he was as bad as you say he was, who was the proponent in the Texans front office to say, wait, 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 let's not get rid of <laughs> yeah. him just yet? So I equate I equate it to this because, um, like, initially I think ownership had a blind spot for him, and Bill O'Brien liked working with him um, initially. So it was initially ownership, but when Casario came in, like Casario knew him in the role that he had in New England where he was a team chaplain, right? So Casario, like even Bill Belichick kind of laughed at the thought of him being a personnel guy. So Casario did have that relationship with him where they kind of worked. But uh, I know you've, you've been a boss before, Q. Mm-hmm. So if 
Like if you come into a, let's say you come into a radio station and it's a disaster and, and, and it stinks, you, you don't just, you can, but you, you don't want to like initially come in and just say, hey, screw everybody, get out of here, you're all fired. You kind of want to see like how stuff went down and how did we do things? How did we get to this point? Like what was being done wrong? And there was a, there was a, it, it was a constant like minimizing of Jack Easterby and like lowering his responsibilities. And I think there was just a natural fill out process. And I think the owner did have to be convinced um, that he was as much of a disaster as he was. But I think from the very beginning, they knew it was going to happen. They just didn't want to come in and say, all right, you're out of here. Uh, and then kind of have to chase their tail and figure out, you know, how do we do this, 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 this. Cause he had his hands in everything uh, before Kasseri, like li- literally everything. Like he, he meddled in media relations. There was a time where he, uh, Took the numbers off the roster. Uh, there was all kinds of uh, like player stuff. Uh, the COVID pro- like every he was he was in everything. So I think there was kind of like a feel out type thing where you come in as a boss and kind of just try to see how everything goes, lower the responsibility, and seemed like a foregone c- conclusion he was going to be gone after this year. Um, but I guess they just decided that it was time to go um, during the bye week. All right, Landry. Most important question I've got for you: The Houston Texans held a media combine. Did you participate? Oh man, I look. <laughs> I'm in my mid 30s, so I I was playing basketball for 30 years of my life, and the last time I played basketball, I was actually playing with like some some teenagers and 21 year olds, and I was back to where I was kind of feeling myself, and I was like, okay, I was still dunking, I was like, you know, I popped my knee, like I I I popped my knee, and fortunately nothing was wrong, but it swelled up like a softball. And I, from that moment, said, I'm never doing anything, like, very <laughs> active anymore, anymore. So there are a lot of kids out there stretching and stuff like that. I participated in one event, and it was the Whataburger race, and I got a $100 Whataburger gift card because nice. I did the Whataburger race because none of the young bucks wanted to do it. But I let – they got a – DJ BNMA of ESPN mm-hmm. uh, won it, and I just let them do their thing, and I just kind of sat on the side and, you know – Maybe oh, I know. <laughs> Landry, I know. And now that DeMond opened up this can of worms, I, over the weekend, because the Raiders didn't have a, a game, they were on the bye, just like the Texans, I had some buddies at the house, and we started talking trash about football. So I decided I oh, thought no. I was going to go D up my my buddy, and I was going to mm. be the DB of the year. I'm 45, going on 46, right? So I get a few good reps under my belt, and you know how DBs are. We start talking trash, start, start getting louder. Yourself. You start feeling it. Yeah, start feeling myself. And man, I must have slipped on the on the gravel. My guy Jess gave me a little bit of push off in the back. It was definitely offensive pass interference, but who calls that these days? The league wants you know they want scoring. So he pushes off. I slip on the gravel. I fall. I rip my hand up. I rip my shirt up. I tear up my shoes. Everything goes bad. All because the Raiders had a buy, and I wasn't focused on football. I was focused on something else. Trying to trying to hang with the youngsters. I'm telling you, man, it's it's da- it really it really legitimately is dangerous, and, and you find yourself like when you're when you're our age and you're like just trying to do something so pedestrian, like go play at a rec center, or do something outside. Like I find myself just watching like LeBron James or like J Kid back when he was like pooping at 39 in the NBA, and I'm just like, dude, these guys are like gods to me right now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's just unbelievable what they're able to do and what we can't do anymore, and we get humbled all the time. All right, so I got to ask you this then: uh, an accomplishment that you did achieve, the $28 Taco Bell menu. 
you know, how fast did you take that out? Fifteen minutes. Uh, it was very. It was very. Fifteen minutes is all I needed for that. I was actually kind of surprised. Uh, I got the. Uh, I got. I replaced the. Uh, the soft tacos. The key is don't eat ground beef. You know, like because the whole the whole thing is like you want to stay away from the ground beef. So I got the I got the soft taco uh, meal with steak and chicken, and that actually adds a dollar fifty a taco. I got the cheesy gordita crunch, add some chicken. I got the cheesy chicken roll up. Uh, I got the chips and cheese, and then they threw in another taco, and there was like something else. And I got the drink. Fifteen minutes, boom, gone. Wow, that's eight dollars. That's amazing. I just got a stomach ache thinking about everything that you you ingested right there, or digested, or it, did whatever you did with it. Man, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It was good. I know y'all got y'all got the Taco Bell Cantina on the strip, so that's next level. I might be able to I might be able to eat fifty dollars at that Taco Bell Cantina out there on the northeast corner uh, by Planet Hollywood. That's my man's good. my man's got it mapped out already. My man. <laughs> I heard that. Well, you're coming to town. I saw your tweet. You're coming to town on uh, on Friday, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, we got We got to link up when you get to town, my man. We definitely got to make that happen. For sure, for sure, man. I appreciate what y'all do. Y'all actually got a really good team. I, I said I could see the Raiders winning their next six games. Uh, I picked them to win the division. I don't know if I feel as confident in that, but that you look at these next six games, um, it's very, very possible that the Raiders win the next six. They're, you know, the Texans are what the, you know, the old Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. <laughs> yep. um, the Texans are. I don't, I don't think the Raiders are. I think the Raiders are much better. Uh, than what their record is. And I, it wouldn't shock me at all to see them, you know, run off five or six, six in a row, four out of six or whatever and make it interesting. Boom, there it is. Well, you just uh, – Raider Nation is going to welcome you into Vegas with open arms after they heard you say that right there. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're feeling you now, Landry. So, uh, great stuff, <laughs> my man. Uh, as soon as you get to town, let me know, man. We'll definitely link up. I appreciate you this afternoon. All right, appreciate you. Y'all be easy. All right, there he goes. Landry Locker right there. Sports Radio 610 in H-Town. What the hell was a $28 challenge? Oh, he had no, to eat guy, $28 worth of food? Yeah, there was a guy. He was like, I went to Taco Bell. Like, inflation is out of control. I spent $28 for my lunch for one person. And it's like, dude, what Taco Bell did you eat? $28 was... Who's spending $28 for lunch on Taco Bell? Man. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, look, let's order $28 worth of Taco Bell. See if one person can eat it. And Landry did it. Unbelievable. Well, there you go. One of his many talents that he has, and he was a hell of an athlete. I'll tell you that. I mean, he's being very humble. He was a hell of an athlete uh, when he was there at Texas Tech. So uh, shout out to Landry Locker and all his accomplishments that he has. 250 is the time. We'll come back, close out hour number one. We've got the injury report from the Raiders and the Texans. We'll pass it along next. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. We've had a very busy first hour here on Unnecessary Roughness. Radio Nation Radio 920 coming up at 3 o'clock. Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 Sports. She'll join us to talk all things UNLV as they prepare to head to South Bend, take on Notre Dame. Uh, should be a fun one. Should be a fun uh, experience for the Rebels. But we'll talk all things UNLV coming up at 3 o'clock. Uh, got a text at 69187. Keyword R&R from Big Dub Raider. AQ, you putting that video of you in the street with that James Wiseman Summer League interview? Hashtag Go Raiders. Man, why y'all remember just all the bad stuff? <laughs> Nobody remembers the good stuff. Hey, Q, remember when you did that great? Remember when you did that great? Hey, Q, remember when you failed? <laughs> that James Wiseman was bad. Every time I see him, and I saw him last night, and oh, by the way, uh, Vegas Pete, and a couple of others that texted in yesterday. And I was so calm, cool, and collective, I didn't even react to any of the texts that we got yesterday when it came to the Lakers and the Warriors. 
I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Do I have to go there? You really don't. Okay, I won't. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That was a one up for the Dubs, and the Lakers look like a bad, bad team. And look, I don't, I don't mean to bag on the Lakers. Mama Q is a big Laker fan, so I'm not trying to bag on them. But they did not look good. So there's that. But man, every time I see James Wiseman, I think of that damn interview. That damn interview. And now every time I see Vegas Jess, I'm, I'm ready to uh, square up against uh, against him again in the street. Or maybe the grass. But yep. I just got to ask, man, how tall was this dude for the interview? He was James Wiseman's height. Because, I mean, I, even— My was, son thought it was James Wiseman, too. Because he even made Anthony Davis look small last night, where it's just like, yeah, hey, maybe James Wiseman, like, 7'1", 7'2". Hey, dog, it looked, like, it looked like James Wiseman. It, no doubt it looked like him. And, you know, you're guaranteed to miss the shot you don't take, so I took my shot, and it went foul. <laughs> right? <laughs> I just <laughs> wrong guy, right? I landed the interview. He said yes, just the wrong guy. It happens. You know, uh, I know a lot of folks that probably wouldn't have been in that position because they wouldn't even have tried. So at least I attempted. So there's that. Could have just aired and be like, yeah, this is my interview with the fake James Watson. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not going to do that. But yeah, that was that was a good one. So thank you, Big Dub Raider, for bringing that back to my attention. Uh, real quickly, want to go over the, the injury report for Wednesday for the Raiders and the Texans. Uh, nobody... Nobody is, well, of course, they're not going to label them out until about Friday. Uh, Darren Waller, obviously, is the big one that everyone's paying attention to. He's got the hamstring injury. He didn't participate. Uh, everyone else for the Raiders were limited. Jayon Brown, dealing with the hamstring injury. Mac Hollins, dealing with the heel injury. That's something to pay attention to, was limited. And then Foster Morrow with the knee injury was limited as well. But Darren Waller did not participate. I'm sure if he's not going to play on Sunday, we'll find out on Friday. And for the Texans, real quick, guys who didn't participate, Malik Collins, Former Raider dealing with the knee injury. Brandon Cooks had a rest day. Jerry Hughes dealing with the knee injury. Chris Moore, a hip injury. He's a wide receiver. Uh, and then Nico Collins, Austin DeCulius, De- De- I don't know how to say his name, Brevin Jordan, uh, Achilles' wrist, ankle, and ankle were all limited for Houston. 2.56 at the time. We'll come back, talk to Paloma Villacana. It's Raider Nation Radio 920.